The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Today's episode is brought to you by RamShirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. RamShirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at RamShirts. Visit RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Listeners of this podcast, enter promo code BASEBALL for 25% off your order. Without further ado, today's special guest from Legacy Sports Network, Gerald Sanchez. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. My guest today is Gerald Sanchez from Legacy Sports Network. Gerald, thanks for hopping on with me today, buddy. It's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you doing with Legacy Sports Network? What you got going on? Well, we broadcast high school sports across uh, the greater Houston area. And in fact, today is the last day of Texas high school football, the season as the 6A championships are being played up in Arlington at AT&T Stadium. Our local team, the Katy Tigers, are going for yet another state championship. Hopefully they can pull it off. They're playing Cedar Hill, which is out of the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And high school football has pretty much consumed my time for the last several months. But before then, we had no sports at all. And so trying to get everything going once again, that was a challenge. No work for quite a quite a bit of time but I was able to and fortunate enough to be able to call some of the Skeeters games in Sugarland they had the Constellation Energy League which is an independent league minor leaguers uh, all playing and Roger Clemens headed up that league and had several former major leaguers as coaches and managers and it was a lot of fun a great experience great opportunity to see Roger go out there and throw batting practice and he was he was just as a big of a fan as just as anybody else. We had the Collegiate uh, League over here in San Antonio. Flying Chanclas. Yeah, the Flying Chanclas. And, and I was just curious, wh- why are these teams able to do this, but Major League Baseball can't get something going where they can have fans? Because these guys had them. I mean, they you know, they had one-way streets or one-way aisles. They, I, they had the seat spaced out. You had to have your mask on. And this, I think you, did, you didn't have to have it on at the seat, but... Did they have fans at the stadium there? They did. They had fans at the stadium. I would imagine that probably because of the amount of games, it's just as not as many games. I really couldn't tell. I couldn't answer that, to be honest with you. I don't know why baseball hasn't figured out a way to get fans, but I know that they're pushing hard for that this year. So since you had some experience over there calling the Sugarland games, uh, that is now... Uh, the home of the Astros AAA team. Uh, tell us a little bit about the stadium. Like, what, what can they look forward to if they want to go head out to a game? Is it a pretty nice place? 
It is a jewel of a ballpark. Constellation Field is a really nice little quaint ballpark. Fans are going to enjoy the experience. There's so much to do for the kids in the outfield with a lot of activities. There's a swimming pool beyond the left field wall, and it's very, very fan-friendly. Well, I, I think 2019, right at the end of the year, I went to Corpus to go get one of those uh, 2005 um, National League championship rings, and it was my first trip to Corpus. And I was surprised. I'd never been there, and there was a lot of stuff to do for kids. So, you know, you could – they had this one section that had these huge rocking chairs and then a bunch of stuff behind it, and I think that's the way to go. You know, baseball, more so than the other sports – is definitely lending itself to families. And baseball is a family sport where you can take the kids out to the ball game and they can have just as much fun as the parents. I grew up in Oklahoma, and we would go watch the Oklahoma City 89ers, who are now, I think they're the Dodgers now. They used to be the Red Hawks, then they were the Dodgers. But the old stadium they had, which they've actually like filled it up because it was kind of down in a hole, but uh, where the stadium was kind of down, and the left field stands, there wasn't any. It was just a big hill. And as kids, you know, we would get cardboard boxes, and we'd be over there playing, you know, uh, sliding down the hill on the boxes and trying to snag foul balls. So we weren't really even paying attention to the game, but we still enjoyed going. I take it back to high school football, and I remember as kids running underneath the stands and doing all the fun things with your friends from elementary school, that they would all meet at the football stadium on a Friday night. So minor league baseball is a, more of a community event as well. All right, so let's jump into the Astros. We're going to go with them first. And I... You know, I've seen you post some things on Facebook and Twitter about different sports. So I wanted to bring you on today to kind of get like, a, I don't know, just to kind of cover the madness that is Houston sports at the moment. Uh, you know, you have the Astros cheating scandal. The Rockets had all these issues with Harden. And then the Texans are just, I, I can't even think of a word for what what's going on with the Texans. And I'm really glad that I'm not a Texans fan. So, you know, let's, I want to talk about all that stuff, but uh, you said earlier that you were a season ticket holder for all these sports. Yeah. A season ticket holder for uh, the Astros, the Rockets, the Texans. Let's see. I am coming up on your number 18 for Astros season tickets and uh, for the Rockets, I'm coming up on year number 16. And for the Texans, year number 14. Um, and with baseball, being able to be at the World Series. And I was at the World Series in 2005. So seeing that run in 2004, 2005, and then seeing the 2015 team make the postseason and come so close to taking uh, beating the eventual world champion Kansas City Royals that year. That was a lot of fun. Very painstaking eighth inning in game four on the uh, the afternoon game, I remember. And then 17 and 19. Probably 17 is, is my favorite year as an Astro fan because they won the World Series. So many memories. 19 was a lot of fun, too. But sitting there for game seven when that home run hit the foul pole against Will Harris, that one was really tough. Yeah. You know, you were, you were talking about that Kansas City game. I remember 
I was watching that game and my wife was at work. So I was, I was getting her text updates. And I remember texting her like, they just had like four singles in a row. They just had another one. I mean, I can't remember if it was seven or 11, but it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. The, the Royals just had single after single and we couldn't get anybody out. And it, like it you said, like, I mean, it was frustrating. It was torture. It was like your arms were being pulled and your legs were being pulled like you're it, it was it was pure torture. And I remember after the Astros had that seventh inning going into the eighth inning, I got up to use the restroom and the thought came into my head. 1980. Rob, do you remember 1980 when the Astros and Phillies played? No, I don't. But you could tell me about it. Game five, the deciding game, because back then the championship series was just a best of five. The Astros had a three-run lead with Nolan Ryan on the mound, and they just needed six outs to go to their first ever World Series. The Phillies came back and took the lead in the top of the eighth. A very eerie, similar feeling. I just thought of it. Just, okay, well, the Astros, they, there's no way they can blow this. Well, they, they found a way. And it, 1980 came back popping in my head. Because at that time, we hadn't won a World Series yet. So all we knew as Astros is, heartbreak and failure of 1980, 1986, 97. They were not expected to, to beat the Braves. So they got swept. But 98, how do we lose to Sterling Hitchcock, Kevin Brown, and the San Diego Padres? A lot of heartbreak that we had. And, of course, losing in 05, getting swept so close in the World Series. A differential with the White Sox and the Astros in 05 was six runs. So Yeah, that's all it takes. 2015, I remember – there's no way we're going to blow this with Kansas City. Well, sure enough, we did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we 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 should have beat them. You know, we had that series, and and I believe that would have closed it out. Yes. They had all those singles, and then they won the next game, and that was it. I mean, I think that that's, I mean, as far as my memory serves me. Uh, but they it seemed like they beat us easily the next game, right? Uh, we were in the ball game, and then Keichel came on in relief and gave up a long ball, and then, yeah, it was over by then. All right, so let, let's talk about uh, what's going on right now. Uh, one question that I had, and I want to get your opinion on this, is, is I was always curious, will the scandal have any impact on players coming uh, to Houston? And... Adam Spillane, I don't know if he's the one that talked to him, but he tweeted this yesterday. He said, James Click, he said, the scandal has no impact on the players in joining the Astros. What is your thoughts on that? I, I don't think so, too, because you got to remember the old regime that was there is no longer there. A.J. Hinge and uh, Jeff Lunau, they're, they're not there as decision makers. So the, now James Click... And Dusty Baker, they're the, they are what is going on now with the Astros and free agents wanting to come sign and play with the ball club. That is all gone now. That happened in 2017. We're in 2021 now. I guess the only reason I had that thought is because, uh, you know, they're the villains. They're the bad guys. So what, would, would, a, would a guy want to go play for a team and get booed even though he wasn't even on the team because in spring training they were booing people that weren't even on the team in 17 so 
you know, I go back to my Seinfeld analogy that they're booing laundry. So, I mean, I do think they'll, they'll be the bad guy, but also, I don't know how many teams, I don't know what your opinion is, how many teams actually have a chance of going to the World Series? So the Astros are one of them. True. The Astros are one of them. You mentioned, uh, if I remember hearing you correctly, you just said fans were booing the Astros in 2017 in spring training. Is that correct? No, this uh, this this year, before the oh, pandemic. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, well, it, th- that, that happens. But you know what? I mean, it, just like everything else, uh, things will take care of itself, and time will heal the wounds, and the, the fans will forget that this ever happened. We do not know the, you know, who they're talking to. We don't know who the Astros are negotiating with. We don't know who they're going after. But Click said, you know, there's a couple of, I mean, I think there was about six, like, big name uh, free agent relief pitchers. And he said, he said they were pursuing them. You know, there's been reports that the Astros are pursuing them. But so far, they've signed uh, Stanek who was formerly with the Tampa Bay Rays, so he has a relationship with uh, Click, and then they've, they've uh, signed Baez. And, I mean, I don't know. Are these the guys they went out to get? I mean, the, I mean, they're good signings, but, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I don't think the answers – I don't think it's been answered yet. We won't know until the season starts to play out. Brent Strom's a good pitching coach, and he's been able to take the average pitcher and make them into a better-than-average pitcher with the techniques that they do in that organization. And if you remember the 2017 World Series, the Astros were limping into the bullpen. You remember Game 2 in, in Dodger Stadium, they blew the lead. And they had to continue to play extra innings after they took the lead in extra innings. They really had to patchwork that bullpen because it was uh, Ken Giles that was not the most reliable reliever, if you remember. And, of course, he ended up uh, taking a stage uh, exit stage left out of Houston. But bullpen is so important, especially the way the game is played today where you have bullpen games. And so it's not like the old days when you and I were growing up where a starting pitcher, a quality start was considered seven innings, three runs or less. The quality start now is six innings, three runs or less. And that may be even less as time progresses because the way bullpens are use utilized today. So bullpens are very important, but we won't know until the season plays out or, or at least to start to beginning of how these arms are going to respond and how they're going to, to play out. Well, just like you, I feel like you pick up these, t- I mean, these guys are professional pitchers. I mean, they, they have tools and we have the ultimate weapon and pitching is strong. We have him, and I have every confidence in that. But what I'm saying is whether or not the scandal has impact on players joining the Astros, I don't know if we know that yet because we haven't signed any outfielders. We haven't got a big-name free agent, and I don't even know if they're even trying to get them. I have no idea, but I don't know if we've proven that it hasn't had an impact. That's kind of what I'm saying. Right. Well, like I said, we, we, we let's see what happens. And, of course, we really can't have a true 
gauge, Rob, of how things are going because of the financial situation playing out in Major League Baseball. Owners don't know for sure 100% they want to, but they don't know for sure 100% that they're going to be able to have revenue of fans in the stands. So that's going to affect how things are played out as far as signings and, and money going out to these players. That's why you're seeing it so slowly developing right now. Yeah, I was I was really surprised the amount of money and the length of contract that the Dodgers gave Mookie Betts. You know, he they kind of said, "Well, here we you know we have money," and you know, like I, I can't remember who it is, but the Yankees signed Lemayhew. They re-signed him, and they got somebody else. But I, I think they got Kluber. They got uh, Corey Kluber yeah, got- yesterday. And I'm like, like, like these guys have been they they. I think the 2010s is their first decade that they went without winning a World Series. So, you know, these guys are, I think they're going to empty the bank account trying to win one. They are. I, I, I agree. Now, one of the things that helps the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, is that they have these television deals, that they have their own sports network and that's a huge cash cow to whereas let's say the pirates or the brewers or the royals don't necessarily have that revenue mechanism the astros want to have that they don't have distribution still all the way through with at&t sportsnet all right let's look at the rules changes that they implemented last season uh two of them that i know for sure are coming back in 2021 is the seven inning doubleheader and the runner on second. What are your opinions on? Let's start with the seven inning doubleheader. What are your opinions on that? Well, seven inning doubleheader is out of necessity. Owners don't want to have a seven inning doubleheader, especially if fans are allowed because that cuts into the revenue. But you have to, because of the virus and no telling how many games are going to be affected and you want to get the games in for television revenue purposes. So a seven-inning doubleheader at this time of the year, I mean, in our situation now, that's fine. The the runner at second in extra innings is for the birds, but I see why they're doing that for the time being. Once things go back to normal, though, I don't want that. You know, I I don't even know what the stats ended up being if they played more innings. I don't even know if that helped, but I, I think I'm against that as well because it just changes. I mean, it, it makes it takes a different kind of person. I remember uh, Anoli Paredes handled that pressure of coming in with that runner on second. And and uh, as far as the Astros, it just seemed like it was so frustrating that they could they could, you know, it seemed like they could never move the guy over. And it was just it was very frustrating. But. I mean, I actually like the seven-inning doubleheader. Uh, they were talking about the schedule this year that was going to be 120 games, and they may do some seven-inning doubleheaders to make 130 games. I don't really know what the difference is in those two games. I mean, that doesn't affect the revenue, does it? Or it, it may be concession stand sales? I don't know. Well, again, it depends if fans are in, in the stands for the concession stand sales. But, yeah, the, if you have less games – Yes, it affects the revenue. That's why the owners only wanted to play 60 games during this time. Remember, the players wanted to play 130 games, and 
then the owners said no, no, and they that's why that that whole struggle, if you'll remember in May and in June, and because it was about the amount of games, which is equivalent to the amount of revenue that's going out and coming in. Yeah, the the owners wanted less games because they weren't able to sell tickets and have concessions, and the players got played by the game. They you know at more games they played, the more money. Now I don't know. I haven't heard anything about this. If the universal DH, I I, I think I may have heard that they aren't going to do it. That'd be fine. I don't like the DH at all. I grew up as a National League guy. You know, the Astros were a National League team from 1962 until 2012. National League rules are different. The way you manage the game is different. Everything is different. But being in the American League, you know, it seems like now where you get used to that American League style of play, when a pitcher comes up, it's like you're going at, you know, 90 miles an hour, and then you got to slow down to 10 miles an hour when the pitcher is coming up to bat. The universal DH, I mean, if it's, if it, if it happens, it happens. It's, you know, it, it, because of, you would think the players union would want it because of more jobs for more DHs across the board. But um, the owners may not want it because of, again, salary. I was always a big fan of leaving it the way it was. I, I liked how the American League had it and the other league didn't have it. Yeah, there's a difference between the two leagues. And then when they play each other, you know, I like how it kind of, you know, when the, when you're at the National League Park, these guys that, especially when there was no interleague play, these guys haven't hit all year. And then you go to the World Series, and now they've got a hit. And now the American League manager has to completely change his strategy. So I, th- I thought it made I thought it made it very interesting. Perfect example: the 2011 World Series with St. Louis and the Texas Rangers. Tony Larusa ran circles around Ron Washington in Game Six, that classic Game Six, when David Freeze hits the walk-off home run and Joe Buck with his classic call, uh, repeating what his father said in the '91 World Series. We'll see you tomorrow night when Puckett hit the home run against the Braves in '91. Jack Buck had that call. Joe Buck had the call of, you know, we'll see you tomorrow night. But in that game, Tony Larusa made so many National League decisions that affected the game in late stages and in extra innings. And Ron Washington, of course, an American League guy throughout that season, it showed how the style of play and the strategy and the way that you use your bullpens and the way that you use your bench definitely favored the National League in a National League ballpark. Yeah, I just found it. What do you think about interleague? Do you think it would be a way more interesting World Series if if they would play teams they never seen before? Sure, just like the old days. Uh, but I understand why they're doing it now. And and in 1999, this was the last year of the two different umpires in the leagues because after 99, the league offices they had a National League office and an American League office. Now it's just Major League Baseball. But I. I am not a fan of interleague play per se, uh, especially when if you're in a pennant race and you had to play six games against the other league team, when it could be, you could be playing six games against your own division opponent or somebody that you're chasing a wild card spot in your own league to make the playoffs. 
I'm not too big of a fan of, of interleague play. Never have been. I kind of like the way it went last year. I think it made the playoffs more interesting. I mean, it, it ended up everybody in the second round were playing teams within their own division. I don't know how that worked out, but, you know, I thought it was kind of cool that, you know, if, when we go to the playoffs, we play Minnesota and they won their division, but we didn't play them at all. We didn't play Minnesota and we didn't play a single team that they played, so we didn't have a measuring stick. And I, I found that interesting. I don't know what you thought about that. I know it was just a one-year thing, but I, I uh, thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, one-year thing um, because the amount of games, too. Uh, you did, and, then, and then, of course, remember, it was geographical regions. Remember, it, it, the West American League play, West played the American League West with uh, the National yeah. League. And, and that was because of travel, COVID, and everything like that. So well, we don't know what's going to happen with the virus. Numbers are going up again, aren't they? And it seems like uh, this is such a fluid situation where baseball, like all the other sports, are just going to have to be flexible and adapt and traditions and rivalries and all of that. That's that's we're going to look at this time frame in history and say, this is not normal. This is not the way it has always been. And and things will change. Yeah, you're talking about the virus. If I was a betting man, I would have I thought no way that they were going to be able to play football and they did they, they figured out a way uh i know they had a lot of issues the, but... the eight billion dollar industry was going to say we're going to play football <laughs> that's how it happened so one last rule change was a three batter minimum opinion on that and also have you heard anything if that I, I think that's sticking isn't it i don't know i think that's a new rule i don't know if it was just for last yeah, year no it was it was a rule that they want to implement to to speed up the game they're doing little things like uh not having to actually throw four pitches for an intentional walk to speed up the game but in reality and, and putting runner at second base uh in extra innings but in reality has it really sped up the game Look at the average time of game last year. Games were still long, especially in October. All right. Do you think we should speed the game up? Because I have no issues with the play of the game and the length of the games. I've never been bothered by it. Pace of play, I think, for – I mean, because you and I are are diehards, and, you know, we love to be at the ballpark. We could be there 24-7. We'd be fine. But pace of play for the general public, I think, could, could speed up a little bit. I wouldn't have a problem with it. So this was a total accident. Uh, But my next topic is our free agent uh, signings. Oh, never mind. That was was Baez I was talking about. I see Diaz. But anyway, uh, we picked up Baez, and he's a slow guy. So, you know, maybe he needs to pick up the game. But anyway, remember Doug Jones? No. <laughs> Milo Hamilton used to call Doug Jones when he would come on the mound. He was a reliever for the Astros in 92 and 93. Jones was a closer and he usually a closer, especially in those days, he was your fireman. He was a guy that could throw 95 plus out of the bullpen back then. It wasn't as common to have 95 plus out of the bullpen. Now you've got five or six arms that can throw 98, hundred. But back then, Doug Jones would come in, and it just triggered my memory when you said, you know, about uh, Baez being slow. Milo Hamilton used to say about Doug Jones, he would be slow, slower, and slowest. He would just hmm. throw 
junk at the plate, but he was effective. You brought up a childhood memory when you said fireman, because that used to be like an award yeah, for the, the relief Rol pitchers, right? The Rollades Relief uh, Award, the fireman, yep. And, <laughs> and, of course, Tony Larusa again, changed the way bullpens were managed. In the 80s, not everybody had a quote-unquote stopper or reliever. In the 70s, you had very few. Goose Gossage and Raleigh Fingers and Sparky Lyle were the guys that came to mind that, uh, that were like firemen. And then in the 80s, you got Dan, uh, Dave Rigetti and Dan Quisenberry, uh, Bruce Suter, Lee Smith, and Dave Smith of the Astros. He was really the first fireman for the Astros in their history. Uh, and then it changed when Dennis Eckersley was utilized out of the bullpen. 88, when the A's went to the World Series, Rick Honeycutt was their setup guy. He was a left-handed specialist. Uh, he would be a normal guy for the Dodgers back in the 70s and 80s, but the way La Russa used his bullpen with Gene Nelson and Greg Cattaray and, and um, Rick Honeycutt and then Dennis Eckersley in the ninth, Eckersley was pretty much a one-inning guy, and that set the norm, whereas Raleigh Fingers or Lee Smith Goose Gossage, they would come in the seventh inning and close out games. So stoppers back then would throw multiple innings, but then it changed when Eckersley, and then, of course, the way Mariano Rivera was and, and Trevor Hoffman in the 90s and 2000s, that's how things really changed. But, yeah, it's a Rolaids Relief Fireman Award. That, that, was, that was back in the 80s, yeah. Throwback. Yeah, I, I saw a uh, 30 for 30 about Dennis Eckersley, and I, I kind of heard that story. It was very interesting. Isn't he one of the great characters of the game? Yeah. All right, so let's go to arbitration from yesterday. Uh, before the day started, because I, I did an episode yesterday, and I was saying that teams had till noon you know, to turn in their numbers, and I figured Diaz and Lance McCullers uh, would get a deal done because – you know, the projections, you know, the high and the low, the gap wasn't very big. And they had Carlos Correa projected between, I think, 8 and 10 million. And I was just thinking, okay, Springer got 22 million in his final year of arbitration. How can Carlos Correa only be worth 8 million? I mean, it's, I don't understand the difference. I mean, I understand. I don't know. I don't know why one's worth one, but I was just thinking Carlos Correa is not going to accept eight or 10 million. And so my prediction was they were going to offer him eight to 10, but he was going to want 15. And what it actually turned out is they offered him 9.75 and he wanted 12.5. So they have almost a $3 million difference. And that's why they didn't get the deal done. Well, negotiating, and also uh, owners obviously want to pay less than the players want more, but that's been the history of, of baseball ever since players were starting to get paid. But again, really, how, how as an owner, like, put yourself in the owner's position. How in the world can you pay for having a good, true idea of the revenue that you're going to get uh, there's going to be a huge part of your revenue that's not going to be there if there are no fans in the stands and if there are less games. So they, they uh, agreed with uh, Aledmus Diaz for $3 million, and I, didn't, I, I knew that he had some injury problems, but the two seasons he's been with us, he's missed like half, the, half of the games uh, being on the injured list. And then Lance McCullers... 
I called him an icon of Houston yesterday, especially on social media. He, he interacts with the fans more than anyone I've seen. And uh, he settled for $6.5 million. So they got those guys signed. And I, sa- I told you before we started talking that it makes me, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. But I mean, I used to be that guy that didn't know what arbitration meant. And I thought, you know, they were signing a contract and they didn't agree we'd lose them. So a lot of people were freaking out, you know, yesterday. And they do it every year. You know, they freak out that we're going to lose him. They're like, sign him, give him what he wants. I don't want to lose him. Uh, But that's not the case. But, you know, what do you think the effect will have on negotiations uh, for signing him long term when you can't agree on arbitration, if they want to extend him uh, in spring training for the future? I think that you have the agent – and then, of course, the team have to negotiate what they want. And um, it's going to be slow developing, I think, until we really know, again, it goes back to the, the economics of, of the game. The Astros also, uh, they signed the, the, the Cuban Pedro Leon, or Pedro, I don't even know how to say his name, Pedro. I, it looks like Leon, and that's actually my middle name. So, <laughs> so he'll be my favorite player. And uh, that's something new, folks. Over 400 episodes, you just learned something new today. Uh, Pedro Leon, and apparently the guy's pretty good. And then there's a couple of guys playing in another league that are doing very well. So we got, you know, we're signing some international guys, uh, but they gave him $4 million. Uh, But we still, so the 40 man roster's full. Uh, Click said they're still pursuing, aggressively pursuing a closer. We still need two outfielders. I mean, we're not going to go with Miles Straw and Chaz McCormick, are we? Uh, probably not. When we might see some action getting closer to spring training if somebody gets signed, or maybe the, maybe Brantley comes back or Springer comes back, wishful thinking, but maybe both of them come back. <laughs> Who knows? So we get two outfielders, and if they do get another relief pitcher that's 43 people so they're gonna have to make some trades they're gonna have i I think most of these guys on the 40-man roster would probably be uh what do you call it when you have to put them out on it's on they have they would have to put on waivers right uh well most of them you don't you don't put uh there's players don't go through waivers until the middle of the season so I mean, they had to they had to put some of these guys on the forty man roster to protect them from the Rule Five draft. Yes, yes, I know. Yes, I see. I hear what you're saying. So they can't just like, okay, I'm going to protect them now. The season's starting. Let me take them off. I mean, if if right, I mean, if they're eligible and you take them back off, or maybe you can't take them off. I don't really know that rule, but yeah, you'd have to put them on waivers, and another team would have to to uh, to claim them. Right. All right. So if they, I mean, do you think? The Astros are good to go in the bullpen. Mm, not really. What I've seen, I, I I'm not a hundred percent confident in what they have in the bullpen. They need another arm. You can never have enough strong arms in the bullpen. The way the game is being played today, it used to be you can never have enough starting pitching. <laughs> now it's changed to you can just never have enough pitching. Last year it was uh, Ryan Presley and like eleven rookies in the bullpen. And a lot of them were guys that never even pitched over double A and they did awesome. They did amazing. And now, you know, like 
the really good guys, the good core, uh, Paredes, uh, Blake Taylor, you know, those guys are going to be back to join Presley and Joe Smith and Baez and Stanek. So it, it should be, and uh, did I say Joe Smith? We're getting Joe Smith back. Hopefully, because he opted out last year because of COVID. So I think, I mean, we'll be in better shape than we were last year. We have no, I mean, Colin McHugh, I think Colin McHugh was amazing in the bullpen when he was in the bullpen. But, I mean, he's a free agent. He never even pitched for Boston. Uh, no Chris Davinsky. We, we have no Brad Peacock. I don't think they've signed with anybody. But I don't know. One more pitcher. You think they're going to keep pursuing an, one more guy? I would think so. I mean, they'll they'll be looking, and spring training is still a little bit of time away. You got several weeks away from spring training, so what, three weeks away, I believe, before pitchers and catchers report? Because what Manford said, that expect the, for the owners to have a full season of spring training. It could change. We don't know. All right, so we've been 35 minutes already, and it's working out pretty good here. But I want to get your opinion on what's going on because this is what someone said yesterday they said we have a team that went through this huge trash can banging scandal and now i now i've lost the word but uh oh yeah okay so they went through this cheating scandal you know they're the evil the most hated team ever and they're not even the most dysfunctional team in the city (laughs) yeah very very true yeah so what do you want to start with the rockets or texans they're very i mean i think the rockets i mean they had harden and he's gone so i guess the dysfunction is gone with them right but they they lost their best player yeah they lost their best player but now the rockets can move forward as a franchise as an organization on the court to Really build and how they want to again. They're going to have to, uh, to, uh, you know, at the the way the roster is currently constructed, can they? They can't probably come out of the West, but they can compete. And then you have to add pieces as you see fit moving forward. And remember, we had Daryl Morey here as a general manager for for many years, and he was able to construct a lot of different moves and trades and pieces to fit around the ball club with Harden. And, and even before Harden got here, he was able to put together a team that was competitive and over 500 didn't make the playoffs necessarily those years, but they were still a fun team to watch on the court. You go, you go look at the teams, you know, they, people were saying, and I don't really watch basketball. I don't really care about it at all. So you're not a sports fan? No, not no, no, not at all. I, I used to like when I like when I did. I try to say like and watch at the same time, so I sounded like Elmer Fudd there. I said like. <laughs> um, when I did enjoy, I'll use that word, watching basketball. I was a Thunder fan just because I grew up in Oklahoma. Oh yeah. So growing up, I was a Boston Celtic fan. I was a Larry Bird fan. But then when, when Oklahoma City got a team, I switched to them, and we actually had James Harden. We had Harden, Westbrook, who went to Houston, and we had Kevin Durant, and they went to one finals and got beat. 
But they had three of the best players in the league, but they weren't a team. They weren't a team at all. Like whoever took the ball down would shoot it. Like it, it was just horrible and it was very frustrating. And then when these guys started forming these super teams, like LeBron James, okay, well, I'm going to go here with these three guys. Okay, well, we can't win here, so I'm going to go over here to this other super team. And, you know, and I just, I just lost interest. I lost interest in them building super teams. I lost interest in it just being a bunch of uh, crying, like every time someone got fouled. I mean, everybody, every time someone shot a miss, they got fouled. I just stopped liking it. I have zero interest in basketball. Well, like you, I grew up a huge Boston Celtics fan. Larry Bird is my all-time favorite athlete. My father raised me as a Celtics fan. Uh, very much disliked the Lakers and the Sixers and the Pistons back in those days. Um, Spurs, you know, uh, your your backyard team there, they they played a lot like the uh, the Celtics with ball movement and, and guys uh, – not flashy or anything, but they, they came to, to work blue collar and, you know, they, they got the job done year in and year out. The first year I lived in San Antonio, David Robinson and Sean Elliott were rookies. And I, I kind of forgot about this, but I was a Spurs fan. I, I really liked them. And I remember being frustrated, you know, they couldn't get past the trailblazers. Yeah. Cause Rod Strickland made that careless pass with under a minute in game seven in Portland. Yeah. You remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. And so I love these guys. I mean, I was really, really into the Spurs, and I would go to the games. And uh, and then they, they got Dennis Rodman. And, you know, he really didn't fit in here. He didn't really fit in with the goody two-shoe Spurs. And I remember they were in the playoffs, and I think he was warned not to ride his motorcycle, and I think he wrecked it and scratched his shoulder. Uh, and so they benched him, and they lost. And then they got tired of him, and they – I'm going to give you the history of why I don't like Spurs anymore. And they got they – got, they, they traded him. They traded him, and so my thought was like, okay, I understand that you don't want him. I'm okay with you not wanting him. But do you have to give the best defender, the best rebounder in the league to the best team with the best score? Like, if you don't want him, and then you and then you get a backup center. Like, you're giving a starting player away for a backup center, and you're giving him to a, the best team ever. Like, it, it was just the stupidest trade ever. And then... They had the last season I was a fan. It was the year before they got Tim Duncan. So I, I quit liking him at the, the very wrong time. They, they fired Bob Hill and Greg Popovich took over. And that's when I said, I'm done with these guys. Like, how can you fire a guy when he has no players? It, so I was done with him. Well, <laughs> you missed out on some great basketball if you're a Spurs fan. Yeah, 90, I did. It was Duncan's rookie year and, you know, Popovich is... Has been there ever since. Yeah. You know, I, I remember the old Hemisphere Arena. That was a great place to go watch basketball. I remember watching the Rockets in, uh, in the old Hemisphere Arena. Elijah by the way, happened in 95, and that's why the Spurs lost. Not because Dennis Rodman uh, took his shoes off and pounded at the end of the bench. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so you talk about the Hemisphere. My first, we were both talking about Larry Bird being our fan, being our, 
our favorite player growing up. So my very first NBA game is when we moved to Del Rio when I was 18. And my dad bought us tickets to see the Spurs and the Celtics. We did not go. Just like how I became a fan of the Astros, I went to see the, the Cubs. I went to see the Celtics. I didn't go see the Spurs, but I ended up being a Spurs fan. But we got there early. I'm always early to everything. And, and there was one guy out there shooting the basketball around, and it was Larry Bird. Yep. And we went in, and I looked down, and I was just, that's Larry Bird. That's Larry Bird right there. And I just remember just being so amazed that I actually saw him with my own eyeballs. It was pretty amazing to see him. He was uh, arguably top five. He's my all-time favorite athlete. I, I'm, I think Jordan, then I think Bird, as far as you know, great players. And Bird was, oh, I, I can't say enough good things about Bird. And it's unfortunate, you know, back then he, he played only 13 seasons. But, um, and even when he was injured, he still had an effect on the floor. He still had a way to, to will his ball club to victory. And he was just once-in-a-lifetime player. And I, um, I love Larry Bird. Now, you want stories about, about Larry Bird and the Celtics and that era of NBA basketball? <laughs> we, we could have a whole podcast on that. Well, let's move to the Texans. Do I, I don't want to I, I take too much of your time because we're already <laughs> at 44 minutes. Uh, the Texans, it's it's an um, unfortunate state of affairs that's going on right now on Kirby, uh, Kirby uh, here in Houston. Uh, it's, uh, there's... There's dissension, uh, and it starts at the, t- at the front, the top, you know, the, the head, and Cal McNair, and the decision making, and Jack Easterby, and of course it is now, the, the you have uh, uh, Andre Johnson tweeting out about, you know, hey, you know, this is going on, and this is not a good thing, and Deshaun Watson now he wants, apparently he wants out of town. Um, it's not a good, it's not a fun time to be uh, a, a Texans fan. So there was a lot of, I guess a, a lot of Texans fans are not fans of Bill O'Brien. No. And so that was the, the first name that I would hear. And then all of a sudden, they make this trade and get rid of DeAndre Hopkins, who when I play fantasy football, I would always draft him, so I'm a big fan of him. And they trade him. And I was like, well, okay, if, if David Johnson works out, maybe. You know, but why would you trade that guy? That's ridiculous. And now, you know, I hear Cal McNair. I hear Jack Easterby. Is that his name, Easterby? Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing those two names. And now I'm hearing Deshaun Watson once out. You know, excuse my language, folks, but I'm going to say it. The Texans is a shit show. I'm, I'm saying it. Here we go. I, uh, I long for our Houston Oilers. <laughs> I be, when I I became an Oilers fan, you know I was I grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan. But when I started going to Astro games, I became an Oilers fan. And then like two years later, they moved to Tennessee. I was a Titan fan for a year, and then I just decided I couldn't do it. And then when the Texans came back, when I mean, or when they got the Texans, I was I was okay. That's my team. I'm gonna like the Texans. I'm gonna start from the beginning. You know, I'm going to be here forever. And I found them boring. I, could, I just couldn't get into them. 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's very true. Uh, the passion and and everything that we had for the Oilers, and maybe because it was we were younger in our life at that time, and not as much going on. But yeah, the passion for the the Texans just isn't the same. It's more corporate. It's more sterile. I want to get behind them. I, I mean, a season ticket holder. I love I love football. I love the Texans. I. I I want to get behind them, but it's just so hard because it seems like they take one step forward and two steps back. Yeah, you had the uh, – weren't they, like, putting it on the Chiefs last year in the playoffs? 24 to nothing. And they ended up kind of getting blown out in a way, right? Yeah, they uh, they ended up losing the lead before halftime, and then the, the wheels came off in the second half, and – uh, it was it was disappointing. A little a little similar to what happened with the Oilers and Buffalo, but even you know that, that wasn't that wasn't that bad. Though the Oilers and Buffalo and <laughs> I remember that game. I, I I was in Del Rio when that happened. I remember watching it with my dad, and we're all like, "Yeah, this game's over." You know, I I, I mean, I think it was thirty-five to three, maybe something like that. And what really though, so, Rob? What really hurt was two years prior. We lose in overtime in in a playoff game against Pittsburgh at the Dome, and we should have won. And then Warren breaks uh, Warren uh, Moon breaks his hand, so Cody Carlson is the backup, and we we lose at Cincinnati that year in the playoffs. The following year, we have Denver on the ropes. We should have beaten Denver in Denver, and to get to a conference championship, John Elway, who is a villain of Houston football. He ended up making on that final drive to win it for the Broncos two fourth downs, including to set up the game-winning field goal. And then the game-winning field goal, Treadwell has a bad snap, but he's able to hold it. And then, uh, uh, he, you know, is oh, excuse me, uh, Kubiak. Uh, Gary Kubiak was the backup quarterback for Denver that year. Came on to be the head coach of the Texans. Remember, he had a bad snap. Treadwell somehow kicked it through and they, they ended up winning, you know, that game. So the year before Buffalo, we had our heart broken in Denver and that doesn't really seem to get talked about very much, but yeah, that <laughs> coupled with the fact of how we lost at Buffalo. And then the next year, how we lost at the dome that Montana uh, aging Montana and Kansas city that really hurt, especially when the, that last year in 93, the Oilers won 11 in a row. Another thing about the Oilers, they also had Earl Campbell. So they had, you know, one of the biggest names in football. They had, you know, the I, I don't know if it's just something about the love of retro uniforms, but I don't remember being a kid thinking, man, those powder blue uniforms are so beautiful. But now they're so cool. I mean, the, the Oilers uniforms are so cool. The Columbia blue. Um <laughs> True Oiler fans will point that out. Columbia blue, not, no. but uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it, you're right. It, it, those, uh, those are the best uniforms. Beautiful. When I played football in kindergarten, that our uniforms were that color. We had white pants and Columbia. Mm -hmm. Columbia blue. And, and, and red numbers. So we kind of look like the Oilers, but I think we were the Cowboys. I don't even remember what we were. Ugh, blasphemous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Well, my elementary school, we were the Cowboys, and we had uniforms that looked just like the Cowboys. We had blue jerseys with white numbers, and we had gray pants with the 
blue and white stripes on the side, but we had white helmets, <laughs> just plain white helmets. We didn't have beautiful gray helmet or silver helmets with a star or anything. But what do you think? Who That's do you how think? The Cowboys started. They had. They used to have white helmets where they went to silver. Oh yeah, yeah. But we didn't have logos. It was just plain, oh, okay. like, like it was like a like a practice helmet. Yeah. So what fan base football wise do you think of has had? Uh, the roughest time or the saddest, whatever, whatever you want to word you want to put in Houston or Cleveland. Because Cleveland, I remember being younger and these guys would get so close. I mean, you know, they have a history. Everybody nowadays thinks that Cleveland's always been bad, but they used to be really good. Oh, yeah. Doc Pound and Marty Schottenheimer and Bernie Kosar. And yeah, they were the old AFC South division rival with the Steelers, Bengals and Oilers. And uh, they got to two AFC championship games, lost to Denver both years in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, won the drive with Elway and then uh, then the fumble with Ernest Biner at the goal line. Mm-hmm. I'd have to say Cleveland just because they've been around more. They, they, they've 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 gotten close um houston had that gap where they you know they had what no no nfl football team for nine years so i'd have to say cleveland even though the oilers you know we lived it and that was not easy (laughs) it was not easy the texans haven't broken my heart the way the oilers did sticking with cleveland like just like so wh- sometimes while I talk, well, not all, sometimes, all the time, but while I'm, while I'm talking to someone, I'll, you know, something will come up and I'll write notes down. And, and talking about Cleveland just made me think about this. So you, you have the Washington football team, and I, don't, I haven't heard any rumors what names they're going to use, but Cleveland, they have said they're no longer going to be the Indians, but they're gonna, are they going to be the Indians this year and that's the last year they're going to use it, or are they, are they going to be the Cleveland baseball team? I think they're going to be the Indians this year, and then then they're going to have to, um, they're going to not have to, but they will. Yeah, they agreed to. Yeah, they they will they will change their uniform and name. Um, I'm assuming they'd they'd stay the same colors, but why would you stay the same colors if you know the Indians and that you know red? So it'll be different. I, I guess when we see Major League now, uh, uh, Bob Euchre and and Charlie Sheen and Tom Berenger, it'll it'll you know, <laughs> it'll be a, a, a memorable classic. It already is, but, you know, yeah. now so that we have Indians. Yeah, our, our grandchildren will grow up and they're like, who are the Indians? Is that a fake? They, they would, oh, I thought that was a fake team. I didn't know that was real. But I, I think the Washington football team is actually kind of cool. Kind of reminds me of soccer. <laughs> I'm getting used to it. Like, I mean, they come up with a name next year. I don't know what they're going to. What they're going to be? I mean, the Capitals is a cool name. It's taken. Uh, what's the, the what, what's Washington? They have a bas- basketball team. Are they the Wizards? The Wizards. They used to be the Bullets. Yeah, they should have never changed that. Yeah. Well, Pol- hey, political. They, they could, political. They could. They could call themselves the Senators, the old baseball team. Yeah, but oh, the auto. The Senators are Ottawa. So yeah, maybe they could. I'll be. That'd be okay with that. Yeah, the old baseball team, the old Washington Senators. There you go. Who knows what they're going to name? I know Cleveland. I've heard spiders and some other thing, but yeah, that's I, old, just, I just don't see it. I don't see spiders as a baseball team. It just doesn't. 
with the big spider on the front of the hat or whatever. <laughs> well, Gerald, I appreciate you coming on today, and I, I enjoyed our discussion before, and I enjoyed the discussion uh, while we're recording. It was a pleasure having you on. Uh, you got anything you want to add? No, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, let's see how things play out with this season. Uh, I'd love to come back and talk baseball again once the baseball season gets rolling. I hope that we can get back to somewhat normal. I hear people say all the time that these are our, our unprecedented times. I would love to have presidented times back. Well, I'm always looking for guests to talk baseball with, so I would love to have you back. And maybe, you know, when some action happens, maybe we get to spring training and uh, maybe we can come back when we have something else to talk about. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again, Rob. All right. Thanks for uh, coming on. I appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for listening to today's episode. And we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.